we are outside the Hillsong Church, which is actually at Irving Plaza, which is a big music venue uh, in New York City. And Steve, Pat, we're in line. What kind of people do you see here in line? We're seeing a lot of young people. It's a multi-culti line. We are around the block. We're around the corner. This is a block-busting line of people waiting to go to church at 7.30. And in fact, when we walked up here, we're like, oh man, we screwed up the directions. They're here for a show. <laughs> so we had to ask them, and sure enough, this is Hillsong. And we are about to go into a mega church. We'll get back to you on the other side. All right, this is the Pop Culture Salvage Expeditions, and all I can say is, holy My faith has been shaken. <laughs> I think it came out more agnostic than when I entered. <laughs> so what we did, we were just here in New York City at a music venue. There will probably be some heavy metal band, some satanic heavy metal band playing there later tonight. But all day today were services from Hillsong Church. So... What is Hillsong Church? Well, oh my God! How to describe? They have thirteen different. What do they call them? Franchises? Yeah. Well. Yeah. Exactly. Or um, global centers. Global centers. Outlets. I don't know. What, what, what are they called? But they they are. It's a church which started in Australia in the mid nineteen eighties, and now is literally worldwide. They have churches in Russia, in the Ukraine, Sweden, UK, South Africa, France, Germany, Spain, the Netherlands. Denmark, they're opening ones in Argentina and Brazil. And here in the U.S., they have them in both Los Angeles and two venues in New York City. And they're the rock and roll church. They're the rock and roll church, but they're also a Pentecostal church that believes in the sort of stuff that Pentecostal churches believe in, like that abortion is something which is evil. They support creationism and intelligent design and believe it should be taught in schools and that homosexuality is against the teachings of the Bible. Although they go make pains to say they still like homosexuals. <laughs> yeah. We, d we like you. We just don't like who you are. Yeah, exactly. We like you to change, <laughs> but, but, but it is a mega church and what, you know, the definition of a mega church is, you know, most churches have a couple hundred people in the congregation. These are churches which have thousands in the congregation. And there's always been big churches. There's like Methodist revivals in the mid-19th century would get thousands of people over three or four days. Mm -hmm. But these mega churches are something which really started post-1950s. And in response, in a lot of ways, to television, they're spectacles, they're, they're performances, there's you know, lights and sound and PowerPoint you know, PowerPoints. <laughs> um, there's something you watch more than you participate in. And it's a global phenomenon. The biggest mega church is not in the United States, in South Korea, where they have 236,000 people come regularly to the service. The second, every week. Every week. How many people go to like a really big Mets game? <laughs> Probably not. Well, the Mets I think are, it's, it's like 30,000, right? Well, and the Mets are doing pretty well this year. So it may be 34,000. <laughs> but how do you get 250,000 people together? Don't you don't know. have Scandal or Empire on television? What are they competing a, against well, is the question. Well, this is the night of the Emmys, and they pack two houses simultaneously. Yeah, Hillsong has mm -hmm. two different locations in New York City. One is at Best Buy Theater in Times Square. And the other is at Irving Plaza yeah, in downtown. 
yeah. Manhattan. And, they, you know, they packed out the places. Um, With young people. I was shocked at how many young people were at the venue that we went oh, to. Oh, yeah. We were the oldest. In fact, yes. some, some woman came up to us, really just spotted us immediately <laughs> and said, hi, is this your first time? And it's like, yeah, we're the old folks. <laughs> We're here with our kids. <laughs> right. But yeah, so, so the purpose of the pop culture salvage expeditions is we dive deep into popular culture, culture that is not necessarily culture that we appreciate or that, that we enjoy, but that is enjoyed by many, many people. And our idea here is if we are going to make progressive ideas, if we are going to make activism popular, we've got to understand the passions of people who aren't activists, who aren't progressives, try to figure out what they get out of these things, and then take those desires, take those dreams, and kind of repurpose them, and repurpose them for the uses of social justice. So while it might be easy to make fun and ridicule of certain things well, okay, that we we've gotta, seen... We got we got it. <laughs> We got to do like five minutes of making fun and yeah, ridiculing yeah, certain. We things. will, but we we have to get past that, and we have to try to understand what needs megachurches meet for people, why they go, what they get out of it, and then what we can learn from that. Yeah, and I would add to that: tap into any discomfort that we're feeling. And kind of surface that and talk about that. because So let's talk about that first. Yeah, because Steve's got a lot of discomfort. <laughs> so I thought I wanted to know a little bit about your guys' background with religion. I know a little bit about Steve's, but Pat, mm-hmm. maybe you could go first. Like, did you go to church as a kid? So, yes, I went to church as a kid. Um, my dad was Baptist. My mom, Episcopalian. We, we went to a Baptist church in the Bronx. Um, and... So yes, what does that I, mean in the box? Do they have like music and stuff? And yeah, I mean, are there snakes? <laughs> there were no snakes, uh, though. I mean, it's in the tradition of the black church as well. So uh, orchestra, uh, the choir was big. It was a big deal. It, you know, was the highlight of the meeting. Um, and I went up until the age of eight. Did you, um, and you liked it. And I or loved you it. got dragged to it. Well, I went, I, I liked the community aspect of it. Um, I didn't like the fact that I found people to be hypocritical. And what so, do you mean hypocritical? So as soon as the sermon stopped, you know, people were being mean to each other and backbiting and talking about each other. And I really grew up, My both my parents were big believers in your relationship to God is your relationship to God. And you don't need a middle man. Yeah. Um, to uh, facilitate that. So I told them when I was eight that I didn't want to go anymore because I thought that the church was full of hypocrites and they were fine with that. That's kind of the thing that like an eight-year-old would see really clearly, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So you stopped going at eight? Yes. Okay. And Steve, church as a kid? Church as a kid. Um, I mean, I, I got to come out. Um that I'm a PK and um, um, I'm a a, a GK um, a G a J a J GPK. So anyway, what does that what does that mean? <laughs> my dad was a preacher. My grandfather was a preacher. Uh, so I grew preacher's up kid, grandfather, preacher's, preacher's kid. kid, exactly. Yeah. And you know, my relationship to religion and my relationship to God um, is a lot like my relationship would be to aluminum siding if my Father sold aluminum siding, and my grandfather sold aluminum <laughs> siding. I'm like, 
I'm good with aluminum siding. Aluminum siding is great. It lasts long. You can wash it down with a hose. And that's kind of my relationship. You know some of the pricing. You can sell it if you needed to. Exactly. And that's kind of my relationship to God. You know, it's great. Okay. It kind of, you know, it's pretty comfortable. It's around for a long time. You can hose it down. You can hose it down if you need to. It stands up to weather. Um, And so, you know, I'm very comfortable uh, with religion. and, And I go to church every week. Um, it's a very so this is uninterrupted. Your whole life, you've gone. No, no, no. When I was eight years old, my parents uh, <laughs> said, "Do you still want to go to church?" And I was like, "Not really." And they're like, "Okay, you got a choice. You can keep going to church, go to Sunday school, or you can watch Nova on TV." <laughs> and I picked Nova. Um, and I also learned not to ask my kids and give them that choice as well. So my kids go to Sunday school. And they're uh, forced. And they're totally forced to go to Sunday school. <laughs> but they also love it. We just actually came back from a three-day church uh, uh, retreat. And part of the reason we go is that the kids have an amazing amount of fun because they're around other kids who aren't interested in what clothes you're wearing. They're not interested in status. And they're actually just good, decent kids. And I should say my church is very, very different than Hillsong. It's a Greenwich Village, gay-friendly <laughs> Um, progressive activist church, which is famous, Judson probably church, Judson Judson Memorial the church. Judson church. Yeah. And they, they're probably, their claim to fame is it's the place that Yoko Ono did her first performances in the <laughs> 1960s and they counseled, um, abortion, um, uh, women that were seeking abortions in the 1960s before it was legal too. So it's a very different church, but you know, I, I still go to church. I don't believe in God. And I'm not spiritual at all, but I like the institution of church. I like the rituals. I like the history. I like the community. uh, Comforting, like nostalgic? It's not nostalgic because nostalgia would be kind of me looking back to a time. It's comforting because it's been around for thousands of years. It's something that people share. And it's something within our society of rampant consumer capitalism in New York City, striving for mm-hmm. success and all those things. It's a place where those things just don't matter. And different generations come together, which often doesn't happen. And in a good church, um, different races come together. And that often doesn't happen in, in other spheres. So it's actually got this sense of a community outside of the back, you know, the sort of the competitive right. um you know, age-segregated, race-segregated rest of the world that we live in. Let me ask you this. Would you go to it if it were not in your neighborhood? Because one of the things that struck me about (laughs) Hillsong is that it's not a neighborhood church, right? Everyone's traveling. I don't know how far they're traveling, but it's not like... You just walk yeah. from your home to this. They don't even have a building in right. New York. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, you know, most people, it is it is my neighborhood, and I'm kind of lazy, so the probably answer is yes. But most of the people in my church actually come from out of the neighborhood because the neighborhood is so expensive nowadays, mm-hmm. um, you know, in Greenwich Village. So you have that weekly check-in. This is, you go, and when did you start going again? About five, six years ago, and we did because of the kids, because we wanted them to have some experience of this uh, thing that you didn't believe in. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, it depends on what my kids don't believe in God either, but they like the church as a community. And I think, you know, one of the things we have to look at when we look at Hillsong is about the community. But before we go there, we're not letting Steve off the hook. That's right. So Steve, what is your religious background and religious experience? Uh, it's, it's rich. Um, <laughs> so my, my mom was a Dominican nun. 
and has a master's in theology. My dad was a Franciscan monk. Now there's a, at least like a joke or a story or something. <laughs> there is a story. Not enough time in this episode, but there is a story. And uh, my dad has a master's in philosophy. And they quit because they realized the good that they wanted to do was not happening in the church. So I grew up, they were kind of, they felt like they, they'd served their time. And we, they didn't need to go anymore. Like they'd got their <laughs> fill, you know? And I remember asking my dad when I was older, why we didn't go to church. And he was like, well, you want to go to church? I was like, no, I, I'm just asking why we don't go, you know? And he said, well, we could, we could get all dressed up. We could drive down there we could like sit and have someone talk to us for an hour and a half or something and then come back. Or we could actually do good in the world. And I, over time, I realized that's how my parents live their life. You know, like they they never really stopped ministering. They just did it in a different way, which is a, a longer story about how they live their lives. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I grew up without it. I didn't know. Like, I remember someone asked me when they found out my parents were in the church, like, so what were they? And I was like, they're a Christian. And they're like, no, but were they Catholic? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> they're a Christian. I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, if your dad was a monk and your mom was a nun, they were Catholic. <laughs> well, you know, Franciscan Dominican, I've come to understand what those are, Yeah, but I didn't know. I don't, I, I, I really like, you know, they, they never, it wasn't taught. And so I've said this to you earlier today, but I've learned a whole lot more about the Bible and Christianity from you, Steve, God help you than my parents. Um, and I, I learned all the values from them, but I didn't learn the details. They didn't tell, unless we asked. And then my mom. God would, is in the details, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but my mom, I remember my mom getting really frustrated, especially in the 80s and 90s with the Christian right, you know, and with the resurrection. She would just be anyone who did not understand that as a, as a literal, uh, like literature, literal. Mm-hmm. What is the word for that? As Liter- a uh, literary, li- yeah, right. They yeah. believe it not, not a literal, literary. but a literary metaphor. Yeah. You know, for uh, for a sort of eternal presence or something. You know, and so it's, it would drive her crazy. You know, because she she studied all that stuff, and I think she had an understanding of how religion worked in a sort of cultural anthropological sense. And so that's what I got. And then later, ended up going to the uh, Spirit Rock Meditation Center. Right. And like meditating, listening to a lot of Dharma talks by Jack Cornfield and being a good Northern Californian. (laughs) (laughs) And that stuff makes a whole lot of sense to me because it's much more personal and psychological than about an external God, Jesus, that's going to do everything for you. But Pat, did you go back to church later? Well, as an activist, I am always engaged in the church. And from my early work with Central American work to, you know, I had a faith portfolio when I was a funder. Uh, So I've always been engaged in church and so many, you know, social justice activities happen. So I have been in church. I haven't gone for personal uh, salvation, but more political uh, <laughs> connections. But I love also that uh, remembrance of the rise of the uh, religious right, because I think it's, I mean, it's something to delve into at more, but everyone, 80s generation and later, that continues to be such a wedge for us mm. in our understanding and connections. And the fact that the secular left and the 
progressive uh, religious left are so still separated to this day because of those wedges that the success of the religious right and how they were able to claim Christianity and define Christianity in a way that we really lost those progressive voices, uh, religious voices for 40 years now. Yeah, it's important to remember that the first born-again Christian president the United States ever had was Jimmy Carter, Mm -hmm. who, you know, really wasn't on the left, but he was a liberal. And during the New Deal, one of the bulwarks of support for the New Deal was the the social justice gospel. And so the religion has actually been on the side of, believe it or not, the oppressed that Jesus actually worked with (laughs) um, for, you know, many, many years. And the civil rights movement, we unimaginable without its Christian roots. It was deeply embedded in the Christian, you know, church, the Southern Southern Christian Leadership Conference. Yeah. So that that making the church conservative, the anti-abortion stuff, the... The anti-homosexual, you know, all that stuff that I remember as a kid, what that was new. Relatively new. I mean, there's always been, obviously, conservative elements of the sure. church. Mm-hmm. And there yeah. was always sort of the, you know, rise, the, the right? big business and business-friendly elements of the church. But by and large, particularly the sort of the popular church was the church of the poor people and the per- church for social justice. Um, Which I feel like is what my parents were into, yeah. but also... And they would have been and frustrated probably at the very time when you started to have a conservative pope and when you started to have this sort of conservative Protestantism and evangelicism. So I think what's important before we get into like what was Hillsong like is is that we always look at popular culture, but religious popular culture, I think, is something which is actually oddly dear to our heart. What do you mean? At the Pop Cultural Salvage Expeditions, we're always interested in popular culture. And we may not think of religion as a popular culture, but it actually is really, really popular. According to a Pew Religious poll, 85% of Americans consider themselves religious and only 15% don't. Now, that number, um, supposedly, as, as Patricia said in The Way Over, is actually increasing the number of people who don't think of themselves as religious. But that's 85% of people who actually do think of themselves religious. And a lot now, of some people might be like, what? How is that possible? Because <laughs> we're living in this incredible bubble. But uh, we're also including people. I mean, these are just people that say they are yeah. religious. They're people who self-identify. Yeah. They're not necessarily going so to church every Sunday. They may not be going to a church. They may not belong to a church. They may not even believe in God. But when asked by a pollster, do you think of yourself as religious? They say yes. Mm-hmm. Now, what does that mean for us? It means we've got to figure out why. We, it, no matter what our feelings are about religion, what our feelings are about Christianity or Judaism or Islam or Buddhism, we have to understand the sort of the whys of religion and what do people get out of it. And because this is about religion, this, this, this podcast, I'm actually going to quote from the Bible. Uh-oh. Oh, yeah. This is from Paul, Apostle Paul um, in the Corinthians. I just want to point out to the listeners, he is not reading anything. This is memorized. No, no, I have actually, I, I'd mess it up if I did. I'm now going to look down. Um, but for those of you that, uh, you know, were not paying attention in Sunday school um, or never attended or Sunday out. school, <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, Apostle Paul was the sort of the uh, the ace um, organizer of the early Christian church. Um, 
And he's the guy after Jesus died. Oh, okay. I just gave it away that Jesus died. <laughs> I, I don't believe. No, he right. lives forever. Yeah, I heard exactly. it right. Any case, after Jesus died, before he lived forever. Um, <laughs> Apostle Paul was the one who went around and organized the early Christian church, the sort of radical sex. And he says at one point in one of his letters to the Corinthians, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. And, so, so he's a snake. Well, this is it. This is it. There's two ways to read this. He's either the most opportunist creep known to humankind. She's a shapeshifter, essentially. <laughs> but he also is a good organizer. What he understood is if he's going to talk to the Jews, and he was Jewish, by the way, as, as Jesus yeah. was, um, he had to frame his argument within terms they'd understand. If he was going to talk to the weak, he had to frame his argument in terms they had to understand. If he's going to talk to the Romans, he has to frame his argument in the terms the Romans would understand. So what Paul understood is, regardless of what your own personal beliefs are, if you want people to listen to you, you've got to be able to speak their language. And if so many people in this country, but we've also, you know, we've done trainings in Africa, for example, in like Kenya, it is a religious country. It's a very Christian country, and people actually want to listen to a lang to a lesson in a language they understand. And so, activists have to understand the language of the people that they're talking to. And so, one of those languages is religion. And I think this is where activists on the left would differ, right? So, Mormons, right, are very multilingual. One of the best examples of a religious movement that is all over the world, but they learn the language in order to teach you a lesson and to get you to speak their language. Whereas left activists really want to learn your language so that we can speak to each other. And I think that there is a difference. So that quote, I mean, it has that edge to it of, Ooh, are you becoming like me because you want me to become like you? And to what extent is is that not cool? Right? Yeah. We want to do this ethically. Yeah. Right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And this is the, this is why I like this quote because I'm not sure where I stand on this. Um, you know, yes, we do need to learn pop culture so we can actually speak to people where they're at. But at what point do we start saying what they want us to say too? And so we start to lose ourselves and lose our souls. Well, I think. Deep down, we know this, right? Like, and we do it. We perform it all the time. It depends on who you're around. When I'm talking in my classes to students that are between 19 and 22, you know, I'm very aware when I'm not speaking their language and I do my best to try to like reference things that they understand and explain my language when they don't understand it, right? Or whether mm -hmm. that's, uh, you know, some kind of reference point or, or actual words or uh, historical events they don't understand. But if I really want them to get it, I got to shift to that. If I'm talking to a group of older uh, Vietnam vets, I'm going to speak differently to those guys and women than I would to men and women I'm teaching to that are much younger, right? And also depending on what we're talking to them about, right? So if I'm talking to someone 
to sign on to a policy change or to get them involved. There's just so much wiggle room you have to have, right? There, it's very confined what you can actually engage people in. If I'm talking to people in a community because we want to, you know, build up a community center or to build up, you know, a particular change in a local area, you're going to be talking to them to understand their language and how they're seeing their problems and letting them lead with that. So it. Yeah, that makes a difference also. I think a lot of people see uh, engagement with religion with being a very set theology or trope that you buy into and that there's little room for for that kind of innovation. So it's not it's more along the line of the advocacy work, not exactly organizing where you're listening to people and how they're interpreting it and then making um, new systems or new rules based upon that interpretation. And, and I think Hillsong did this kind of brilliantly. So let's explain a little bit about like we walk into this church. Well, first we wait in line. Yeah, first we first wait we, in line. And and the line is around the block, as you said, yes. Pat. And it's full of young people. Uh, but we're greeted, right? And they have – this is the – I think all activists should go to something like this. I mean, I, w- I, mm-hmm. I can't imagine I would have said this before doing this. But just to see the level of organization and the, how they've thought through the whole experience of you as a guest there. So we're waiting in line. Someone comes up and greets us, learns our name, asks us how our week has been, if we've been to the church before, what we know. you know, And it's like very, very friendly. They all wear hello, my name is, and have their name on their, mm-hmm. uh, on their chest. And then we get in the church and we go inside. After we're greeted by probably yeah. eight different people. <laughs> exactly. And it's a very familiar space. That is, it's a familiar space if you're a young person and you go to music venues. You've been to one of these music venues a thousand times before. They even search your bag as you yes. go in, just like they're going to do at a music venue. And the lights come down and a rock band shows up. And there's awesome video behind them. Very well produced. Yes. Too. In the, Soundstage. In, in, in the first 20 minutes are just these incredibly vapid, horrible songs of which if you swapped in baby, baby, instead of Jesus, my Lord, <laughs> you'd think it's like you're just a, a bad top 40 love song. <laughs> but it's really familiar to people. That is, is, this is a rock show. Oh, it's a rock show with Jesus added on to it. And so it takes the familiar and then layers on to it this perhaps unfamiliar message to people, which is about, you know, God. And the band is like, I mean, we were probably could identify with them a little bit less, but like all different kinds of people. So you could see yourself in this on stage. They had room for people to stand up front. And then they also had, I mean, there's a lot of that, like I was saying with the organization, they have a lot of people that kind of work with the church. They're not on salary, but they're volunteers and they know how the show runs, right? So they come up and stand in the front in order to build a crowd of people that will stand at the front. This is like, if you're doing a performance in the street, you got to do this. You got to get a team of volunteers to help sort of create the crowd that will then come. So they do that. They're like up there dancing and singing along while the band's playing Every lyric is written on the, on the uh, mm-hmm. project, projected behind them. 
So all these people in the audience and, and the lyrics repeat over and over so that you can learn the song and so that you can very easily sing along and you feel, I mean, if you ever sing in a group, you feel connected to that group. It's a very like natural human thing. And that's, you know, that's what all churches do. Um, usually do yeah. have a hymnal. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, usually the songs are a couple hundred years old or they've been passed down through folk tradition and they're not sort of vapid pop songs. But again, as you point out, the experience is, is we're all literally on the same page. And you think about how different that is to showing up at a meeting when you don't know the organization, you don't know the group or you don't know left culture where you hear these buzzwords and you're like, I, I there's no place for me to enter in here. But here you know exactly what to do. The lyrics are there and you have the shared communal purpose and a communal experience before anything else happens. It's all about community. The first 25 minutes, it's just about building community. Mm-hmm. And you know, we need anthems. We need anthems, man. We need like really bad songs that uh, people can sing along to. Oh, it's like the international. Yeah. Or, <laughs> or we shall overcome. Those are badass or, songs. What, which we side don't are have very good which songs. side are you on? No, those were good songs. <laughs> those we, were we, good we songs. might not have them now, but that's what those songs that's the purpose of those songs. You know, uh Adam McKay, he's a comedy director. He made the other guys and um which is a great great organizing movie. Uh or not organizing movie, but a movie about economics. Um great movie. Okay. So anyway, Adam McKay around that time, I think worked with some other people to come up with, I think it was called an open source protest song or something, or like a free protest song so that there would be a protest song that we could use that wasn't a licensed like song that the publishers would come (laughs) after you for. And that actually worked as a good anthem. And there were a bunch of people that entered this contest. I mean, really great idea, right? I, I don't know if any of the songs took off, but there were some great entries, but there's just not like, we don't have a song like the international, what it was at the time. The songs we do have are owned by Warner brothers, you know, so we need, we need songs. And I think starting it off that way would be great. To be fair, there weren't any good songs <laughs> tonight, right? It's, and I they think did it's the about, job. <laughs> I, I think it's about just putting music out there. Right. And um, if we can uh, skip to the critique, yeah, because okay, okay, that's okay. why I've been silent. So every time I wanted to say something, I was like, no, that's a critique. Um, Love in your heart. Love yeah. in your heart. But this is the thing for me. It's um, the use of music. And I don't like this, you know, if the left does it either, even though I, I rarely see it on, on that side. But the use of the music to make me feel. Right. So the music was, you know, they had the drums going. It was all about percussion to get me to feel something that I wasn't feeling because the lyrics actually said nothing. The lyrics were so, you know, vague and meaningless. Um, But they were the music was loud. They had, you know, just the it's it's inherently dramatic. Yeah, inherently dramatic and manipulative. Um, I made a recording that we can play right here. There is no power in in just our prayers, but there is power in who we're praying to. And that is the God who sits on the throne, the creator of it all, the one who brings life, the one who brings health, the one who brings supernatural peace and joy to the most hopeless situation, the one that can open doors and close doors. But that was, for me, one of the things that, you know, struck me as, I hate that kind of theater. I hate 
Um, you don't want to feel manipulated. I don't want to feel manipulated. And I don't, I want it to be more an organic, I'm coming to a realization yeah. rather than hitting me over the top of the head. See, but that was the problem with us being in there because we're not converts. It's not manipulative. Well, it wouldn't feel manipulative to the people in the church. They'd been manipulated already. Right. <laughs> That's what I wasn't saying. <laughs> but everyone starts it, right? Yeah. No one starts as a convert, right? Yeah. You have to be converted. But if you're into it, you're like, yeah, this song is the best. You know, like when they make that song, you're like, finally, we have this song, you know? Hey, one of the things I, and maybe this is what you're going off with is sort of, it was just pure manipulation and emotionality is you use the words, it said nothing. And I think my big critique of this service as a churchgoer um, is that it said nothing. That is, is that this was absolutely vacuous um, for the first, well, actually from the beginning to the end, that my idea of a religion is one that poses questions, uses ancient texts, which are really hard to figure out, and then you puzzle them through, okay? But that's not what this experience was about. That's yeah. what my progressive Protestant church is about. That sounds like an academic intellectual church professor. <laughs> exactly. And this wasn't that. I, I think that one of the things people liked about it was that it asked nothing of you. It didn't pose any questions. It didn't ask you to reflect upon your life. It didn't ask you to puzzle through the mysteries of humankind and spiritual thought for thousands of years. It was just like... As I said before, you put in baby, baby, and love, and you know you take out Lord and Jesus. Right. You and are my a, everything. I live for you. Yes, exactly. We did an experiment where every time they said Jesus, we'd yell baby, baby. And when they said God, we said girl. Right? And the songs work just as well. Yeah. All right. So what you're saying is that it didn't have content. I feel like we should, full disclosure, we left before the before the end of the sermon. Yes. Um, so they had their big. Well, let's see. We should do this chronologically. The band played, and then they came. Oh, and that was about twenty thirty minutes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they came out and kind of didn't say a lot. It was just like, "Hey, isn't this great? Are we all great? Who's the new people?" Which was important. Yeah. Right. Yes. Who are the new people? Raise your hand. Here's a free book from our leader. And uh, and then if you can give, we can use the money. We're trying to build, we're trying to get office space in New York City <laughs> yes. so we can feed the homeless. We're not sure what we're the not, connection between yeah, us we, is. That's not what we're here to talk about. Because <laughs> we could talk about that for a while. And so there was about 20 minutes of fundraising, yeah. right? Organiza- Maybe more. Organizational building. Yeah, to be to be more kind. Yeah, and so we're fifty minutes in, and we've got really no sermon. Right? Yeah, it's like some feel good music, and hey, we could use your money. And and there is one little quote from the Bible which is about giving. Yes, (laughs) yeah, um, which came right around the time you're supposed to give money. So it was it wasn't really that challenging religious, you know, text that I was looking for. Oh, and this is around the time I noticed that they had two video cameras set up at the back documenting everything. And they were we found out later they were streaming it to the other church and that they kind of linked them up for this pastor to speak. But another thing they did really well, they did documentation. 
right? So they have really great video of, I guess, every, what do they call this? A mass? What do you call it? Service. 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 A service. They have do like four or five services a day and they have great video of all of them that they're probably putting online. And like, I have great artworks and great public things I've done and we forgot to videotape we, them. We, well, we saw them taking pictures while we were waiting that's online, right? right? It yeah. was, uh, they, they were documenting everything. Yeah, like, and that's, su- I mean, that's a, a place that we really fall short. Well, like how long, how many times have we said, yeah, we've got to document one of our workshops and we've been doing it for six <laughs> yeah. years No, now. but we've got to get really done. good video <laughs> <laughs> this time exactly. <laughs> and we never do because we're too in the moment we're like ah, oh, that's that's fine that's but they have enough one enough volunteers but also the forethought to sort of capture everything so they can share it and and also really high quality yeah you know this isn't like somebody in the front with a cell phone taking uh, some video with blown out sound and shaky camera so to put it online on youtube later like they're t- there this is a two camera shoot right and it is important because for people who document, that is really a change in thought from not just the people in that room, but thinking about people who are not there. And I think that's the key. Yeah. Because uh, they're always looking at, you know, not everyone's here. We need to show them how great this is. We need to, you know, keep this. So, right, even when I see people document on a love, sometimes it just sits on their phone or sits on their computer. But they actually use that footage and they get, yeah, they get more people to participate. As if a anything, result. they're communicating really well what they're doing on their own terms. They're not asking someone, the press to come right. and to do their take on what they do. They're putting out their own content. We all know this is important, but they're doing it every single time. So and then, and then after they've done this, their senior minister shows up and this very impressive big screen at the back. Well, they built him up first. Yes. yes. They didn't yeah. just let him yeah. come out. That's right. Which is also important. They did the warm up. They said, yeah. this is this guy is important. Let me tell you why. Yeah. Let me tell you a few reasons why. Let me build this up, build up some tension. And then he comes. Yeah. And perfect timing. So both venues uh, ended their songs at the same time in order to. Singing the same yeah, song. Singing yeah. the same song to transition to the senior pastor. And that I thought that was beautiful. And the technology worked it was flawless yeah which yeah. we all know is not a guarantee on the yeah. left i i know about this stuff and i'm not sure how they did it they had also we were fortunate enough to stand in a place where we could see their screen what what was showing to the people on the stage and they had everything timed out to the minute and they pretty much hit it they were never more than a minute off of uh, their timing also key, right? Like to run a meeting on time. How many have you been in the, listening to this? How many have you been to a meeting that does not run on time? Yes. Most. And you saw the clock when it went yeah. over, it turned the numbers turn red and you yeah, saw how much counting up. over you were going. And they did that so that they could coordinate the, the satellite link up. Or and whatever, and but, also so people could show up to a known quantity. Which is like, I know I've got an hour and a half to go to something. And then most of these people are probably going to go out and party. It's a Friday night. They're young people. And so they know between 7.30 and 9, this is what they're going to do. And it's not this open-ended, well, I don't know when it's going to end. And then I'll sneak out the back and so on. We were the only people that snuck out the back. (laughs) Yeah. Actually, it wasn't really even sneaking. I I was surprised that we weren't accosted more when we left. They actually let us leave without... (laughs) 
Yeah, but yeah, we're good New Yorkers bad. that know how not to make eye contact <laughs> and walk confidently. I'm not going to be intimidated by some kid behind a table with a bunch of books and CDs of Christian music trying to make me feel guilty. I want to explain why I'm leaving. I'm just leaving. I'm an adult. I can make decisions. All right, let's get back to the pastor. So this was the main event. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it became like, oh, we understand this is church because yes. he comes yeah, I out. kicked right in. I was a kid again. Yeah. I was like, this is boring. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, but what was interesting about it was that, again, it wasn't like my minister. Um, and it was very much a different type of sermon. It wasn't about look inside yourself, puzzle through this mystery. It was, you're unhappy? And then he'd go on why we're unhappy. Oh, in these cities. So, so many people unhappy in these big cities. Come on. Different ways to be unhappy. (laughs) Drive us all down. And then there's the release. What's the answer? Jesus. Jesus. (laughs) Yeah. If you need a job, you know what you can do? Jesus. If you need a house, what can you do? Jesus. If you need money, Jesus. Jesus. Now, I've read the Gospels. feeling sad. Jesus. Now, I, I've read the Gospels. Maybe the only one amongst you has read the Gospels. And there is no place where Jesus says that. <laughs> that I am the answer to everything. If there's anything lacking in your life, turn to me. I can help. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's just that that's not the message. That was okay? infuriating to me. Well, it was totally infuriating to me. And I think probably from different places, from me as a Christian, for you as an anti-Christian, <laughs> as a Satanist, <laughs> Satanist. You know, uh, it just offended Pat's aesthetic sensibilities in general. It's true. It's also, you know, the pretense, right? That, you know, I was standing there thinking, you know, this is basically the Southwest Airlines of churches, right? They pretend <laughs> to be something that they're not. Oh, we're all fun. We're all this and that. And then it becomes the same crappy message that yeah. you can get at any church. Okay. Um, yeah, I thought so, they were going to reinvent church a little bit more. And it went right into classic yeah. church. Right. <laughs> classic church. Okay. But but now we got to do our job, which is like there was more people at that church then there's certainly in a, just in that room than there was that ever go to my church. And so we question, have not even said how diverse, racially oh, yeah. diverse that, that room was. was. Exactly. Yeah. It was racially diverse in a way that no public space in New York City ever is. Exactly. Well, and think about that age, that age group, I would say maybe 18 to 30, yep. right? Try to get them to any political action. It's going to take a bit more work. I mean, I would I, if if we were trying to get that number of people to any political action in that age group, not easy at all. So, what was it about this sort of church light message that resonated with enough people to get them in that room? Well, okay. One thing I noticed is as soon as the senior pastor started talking, there were way more phones out. <laughs> right, like people had their phones out before taking pictures and stuff. And I thought one legitimately might be taking notes. Okay, so let's be fair. Some of them might be taking notes on what this amazing Australian senior pastor might be saying. Like, answer, Jesus. (laughs) Happiness, need it. Ask Jesus. Type, type, type. Save into notes, right? So that might have been happening. 
but there was less engagement. Also saw someone starting to nod off. Okay. So, so they, maybe that wasn't the draw. I don't think that's the draw. I think that's the like, oh yeah. And we have to do this part. Okay. Right. Okay. So what if we worked for that with that for a minute? The draw is something bigger that's happening in that whole space yeah. between the music, but, but let's say, let I'm going to say it's probably more the community and feeling like you belong. Yeah. We should say when we walk in, there's huge signs that say welcome home. And if they have like, you know, a brand message, it's about welcome home. This is a big anonymous city. You come here, you're going to find friends. And the leadership also was super accessible. They identified who those people were. They wore name tags. They would talk to you if you you wanted to talk to them. And they were around and visible. And I I can't say that that's always true at every sort of political or creative thing I've done where it's like the more important the person is, the more inaccessible they are. It was the exact opposite of that. And you could make the assumption because of where we were that a lot of these young people are NYU students. So Mm, out of town, don't have their families Mm -hmm. here at a very lonely, scared moment in their lives. It's New York City. They're already going into debt for being in school here. This is free music, free M&Ms, free water. Right. And it's also (laughs) a space where that was the most young men I've seen in a space as well. I mean, I think it was a nice even split of young men and young women in that space. So that's also something that you don't see as often. I tend to see more, I would say more women in religious services than I see men. Uh, But this was actually an interesting space where it seemed, if not more young men than at least even. So what lessons can we learn from that? This is one of the things that pops up for me, right? It's, this is a space where people are able to be vulnerable Mm. in public. Mm. where we don't allow that, right? If you're at work, no one cares about your personal traumas or what you're going through. If you're going to a political meeting, if you're feeling anything, you're going to put it within a political systematic framework in order to deal with it. This was a place that people could talk about being sad or being depressed and express that in a way that's accepting and they don't have to do it alone in a dorm room. You know, after your mm-hmm. roommate has left, they could actually come to a space and it's accepted. The community yeah. is built, default built in. Mm-hmm. Whereas like your community at school or uh, even in bigger, like once we get out into the big bad city, you don't go somewhere where there's an automatic community. Mm-hmm. You walk into a coffee shop and no one, no one looks at you, wants to talk to you. Right. Exactly. Right. So yeah, you get in there and you belong, whether it's the first time you've been there or the 20th. And it's also a community that is built not about winning. And if you think about in a place like New York City, which just celebrates winners, it's basically a community which the default is we're all losers, we're all sinners. And of course, the solution to that is Jesus. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. but but let's, let's leave that aside. The default is, you know, following up on what, Pat, you were talking about, is that it's a place where it's okay to to be devastated um, because that, that is what the message is. We're all devastated. And that what an, what an odd space in, in, in a culture which celebrates, you know, never let anybody see your weakness, always put out that front face, you know, lean in and so <laughs> on. And this isn't just in New York city. Like this is, they're in Paris, they're in London, they're in Sydney, they're in Moscow, Moscow. Yeah. 
And I imagine every city has can be alienating. And what's frustrating to me is that, you know, it's fine. I don't, I don't have a problem with people finding community in any place. Right. And if they believe in that stuff, cool, hang out. But that those people might agree with us politically and we're, we don't always do a good job of providing them a community and a home and making them feel like a friend. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the guy was like, this is a friendly church. We need to create friendly spaces. Well, we also need to create or build our skills in dealing with people's emotions as well. I think mm-hmm. being in that space, I felt overwhelmed because you can feel the loneliness and the sadness of so many people who were there. They were so many of them felt lost or yeah, I picked that up and I think that is really hard to deal with. And we're not trained as organizers to deal with people's emotions. Mm-hmm. We're trained to deal with people, uh, how to get them involved in uh, campaigns, how to get them to we sign instrumentalize. petitions. Right? <laughs> we do not we do not talk about people's feelings or delve into that aspect of how to relate to people. And so building a healthy movement, you have political objectives. If you really want to achieve those political objectives, you also need to create space for the human beings in that movement yeah. and their emotions I mean, and their sense of community and identity. Yeah. I mean, movement. why do you say that? Well, I think it depends on what you determine is a priority in what you're working on, right? Okay. It's campaign work is about winning. It's about winning sometimes in very short periods of time, right? Because we're going to have a political, we're going to have our uh, liberal mayor for just so many um, yeah. years. We're going to have this, this particular Congress for just so many. So we have to move fast on this. But involving that, the whole human being is such a messy Mm-hmm. Um, endeavor to go into. And we're not talking eternity, right? None of our mm. campaigns are the long-term, you know, religious timelines. Thousands of years. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So when we talk about the whole human being, I think we also need to be thinking about in what context we're talking about that. It sounds like you think there's a like a boundary. Oh, well, I think there's an inherent obstacle with doing work you in a political You can't take realm. on people's yeah. psychological issues and every crazy person that walks in that needs attention, right? Or not even crazy, right? I can't. Well, can't come even on, there's men- crazy people. <laughs> there are. And I think we're, I think it's easier to be a crazy person entering into our movement than just a regular person dealing with depression uh, or, you know, sure. loneliness. Um, but I think it's structurally doing political work gives you a different time frame that doesn't allow for whole humans in a way that uh, religion does. But but since we know we need to deal with people as whole humans, but we know that we can't get bogged down, nor do we have the skills actually to, to deal we with trained. people. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we don't train. What do we do? Is there, are there little things that we could actually do in order to um, minister people's needs at the same time get shit done. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think that there's somewhere in between where you can go to a meeting about name the issue and not feel alone. Right. And feel like the skills that you have in your life outside could be useful and would give your life a little bit of purpose and meaning. Mm-hmm. Right. That ultimately we're, 
we are talking about similar things, hopefully with the best religions, which is like life is about helping other people. Mm-hmm. And, and I think another minimal thing we can do is greet people. Yeah. Is it your first time here? Put up your hand. Let's give you a big round of applause. Hopefully it's not your last time here. Yeah. You don't have to come back, but we'd love it if you did. Yeah. Just simple things. No pressure. You can canvas Hillsong and (laughs) hand out flyers on those lines because you know these are people who are being ministered in other ways, but they might be interested in what you're doing as well. Yeah, make partnerships. Yeah. Yeah, like let them handle the uh, the loneliness and we'll handle some more of the purpose and the feeding the homeless they kept talking about. <laughs> which I don't think they do. They've actually gotten into some trouble with this because they do have social justice programs, which other people have argued is minimal actual social justice and maximum sort of uh, building organizations. Mm. Yes, they did claim to uh, rebuild after Sandy. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, yeah, and I'm sure they did some of that, but it's definitely, it's not a social gospel church. But, yeah. you know, it, it it is filling a need, and you're right. It's sort of like, well, maybe they're not against those sorts of things. And maybe one has partnerships with, with groups. Now, they'd be a little bit tricky because some of their political ideology or their religious ideology runs pretty against the grain. The and problem, it would be tricky for someone like me to want to go work with anyone I thought believe that stuff. Right. I would have such a hard time I being honest, like being yeah. around someone that I thought was homophobic. Yeah. You know, that takes a, a a lot of I don't know if humility is the word or patience, you know? Christian forbearance. Yeah. <laughs> that that. And it's like, okay, you want to help us with this and but to know that I mean to me that's bigotry. And I don't I I just have such a hard time with that. <laughs> Damn, bottom line, there you go. You you have hatred in your heart, Mr. Lambert. I mean, I know that I I would need to. You could also think about it as if you're dealing with the Episcopal Church in 1975, right? It's churches evolve, just as people evolve. And I know it's interesting. I, I mean, this is for another conversation, but I am fascinated about how headstrong some of uh, these conservative movements continue to be homophobic. And I wonder how long that's going to last. I can't see that extending beyond another generation. That has to fall off quickly. Look, Look at the biggest religious organization in the world, the Catholic Church, and think about how much has changed, if not in action in rhetoric in just two years. Um, mm-hmm. Things really have shifted. In the yeah. megachurch movement, um, Richard Warren of Saddleback Church, mm-hmm. who's a huge church in Orange County, you know, s- says he had an awakening. At one time, one day he woke up and he realized, wait, I'm not doing Jesus's work. And so he has actually put a lot more of his ministry into social justice work. Still homophobic, still anti-abortion, but the emphasis of the church is actually on feeding the poor helping people with um, a disease and AIDS and so on, um, as opposed to, you know, stopping abortion or, you know, healing homosexuals or something. So things do evolve. And Hillsong is just a church which came out of the evangelical movement. They have that baggage. But I guarantee if we asked most of the people in that audience, you know, what's your stance on homosexuality? I don't think they would toe the party line. Yeah, and I think I... Like I said, I would have a hard time with that, but I also know that's 
part of what I got to yeah. do, yeah. right? Like I can't isolate myself and hang around only people that believe in what I believe in. And that exposure to other ideas is good for me and for them. And so if we can find one thing we agree on and work on that and then, you know, agree to disagree on something else, but still hear each other and realize we're both human beings, right? That's how people shift and come together on stuff. And I don't know how I would move from where I am at on believing that you should should (laughs) accept people for who they are, you know, when they're right, whatever sexuality they have. Because it, I mean, just a but, uh, nuance a little exposure to ideas versus exposure to hate, right? So yeah, there is a difference. Yeah. And hate should never be accepted and should always Thank be. Thank you. Thank you um, for. Yeah. <laughs> right. But I think it's also, we need to be thinking more as activists around how do we build up our supports for going into those conversations mm-hmm. or uh, entering into those relationships where we are being challenged because I think there is a big fear that, Oh, what if they, what if my relationship with them actually changes who I am Mm. uh, and changes my values or changes my uh, stance and that we, I think we would be more willing to enter into the unknown or enter into relationships with people who are not part of our clan if we did it with more intentionality Mm -hmm. and had an understanding of how, Uh, we can be supported or support each other as we do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think working with people that we disagree on uh, like value stuff, right. Mm -hmm. It can be really exhausting. Yeah. This is my position with with a set of ethics I have, but I find certain views just backwards and that it takes so much for me to explain like th- to get you up to speed with where I'm at. It's, it's like, how many times do I have to do this? And why do I have to do it for you? You know, I don't know. Maybe that's the job for a, a more progressive church, right? It's like to do that kind of teaching. Hopefully education is doing that. That's what I'm doing when I'm teaching. But, well, you know. I, I mean, I think that there's two things going on here. One is how do we support ourselves so we don't lose our soul? But the other part is, is like how going back to what we were talking about at the beginning, how do we speak in a language so we can actually have conversations around issues like, say, homosexuality? And one of the ways to do that is not around using languages of human rights and not yeah. using languages of equality because that's not the language they're using. The language they're using is a language of love and the mm-hmm. language of forgiveness and the language of acceptance There is nothing in the Gospels that says a damn thing about homosexuality, but there's a lot of stuff about loving your neighbor, loving people, and love will solve the world. And so the question is, is where do we have our conversations? And that's not even being instrumental and being creepy like Paul. It's just trying to understand what are they open to listening to? What are we opening to say? And then we can leave aside the whole host of things like the begets and the begotten, which we have no interest (laughs) in getting into. Yeah. You know, I think what I'm imagining is that really exhausting process is actually when things turn into like a confrontation or, and a, or a conflict. But what you're describing is not like, let me teach you about this, which we know doesn't work, um, is talking, uh, meeting them where they are with what they understand and what they know, and then helping to connect the dots to the issues that we care about, like equality. And making sure we don't slip into the creepy Paul. 
which is saying things we don't believe into in order to try to sway people over to our side. And that means keeping a sort of center so we're not just shapeshifters. But finding the thing in languages that other people use that we can agree with as well. And languages that we use too, uh, but probably not with our political colleagues, but Mm. that we use with our kids, with our uh, parents, with our siblings, with our friends. We usually don't talk the same way that we do around the, you know, when we're having a meal as we do when we're in a political meeting. So I I don't think it's that foreign uh, to most people. That was a weird thing about that church is like the little exposure I've had to um, Christianity stuff. And again, most of it is from you and my parents. <laughs> <laughs> But it's a A wide range of Christian thought. (laughs) Yeah. Jesus is this model of, of acceptance. Right. And like a sort of like something you want to aspire to be. Ass kicking acceptance. Yeah. So to be so forgiving and so wise and so, you know, loving. Well, and ass kicking too. And ass kicking (laughs) and, and poetic and whatever. Right. And such great hair. Um, <laughs> but that he's this, you look up to Jesus as, as, as a model of someone to aspire to. And that this turned it around where I, it becomes this abstract thing yeah. where it's not Jesus the person, but the the idea of Jesus and letting Jesus into your life, letting God and the Lord's light and blah, blah, blah into your life. And that is what you're supposed to do because that solves all your problems. Mm -hmm. Once you accept him and you know, you have this external abstract force that's taking care of you, you will be okay. Exactly. It's the, it's the difference between I got Jesus in my back pocket um, versus like, Oh shit, I got to step up my game because I've got, if, if I believe in this guy, I've got to actually follow what he says. I think that's what, Attra- that, that's what makes that's the connection to me between Buddhism and and um, and Christianity is like the Bodhisattva thing, like pledging to do the impossible, to heal or to 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 pledge to. Um, I like pledging to do the impossible. Yeah, it, it like really that, is yeah. an impossible pledge, and we have show notes on the site for this show, and <laughs> I will put the Bodhisattva <laughs> vows into the show notes. But it's like you know, to to uh, it, it's like you you take on this impossible. Thing like I'm going to accept the pain of everyone. Yeah. I'm going to, um, you know, be feel joy for everyone and love for everyone. Beings are limitless, and I will something for all of them. I will do things for all of them. Right? It's like this impossible thing, and that that's a reminder of like that's what I aspire to. I aspire to do that impossible thing. And and there are schools of Christianity that have that with Jesus, where like I'm going to aspire to do this impossible thing. And that that's the model I know I will never achieve, but boy, will I work at it. And that instead, this flips it around where this is just the solution. And I feel like there's something wrapped up in that, either the way they're doing it or the way I'm describing. Well, I think it's a consumerist model of Christianity, which is like, you know, wash your hair with this shampoo and everything's going to be awesome. (laughs) And I just felt, and that's why that sort of stuff rubs rubs me the wrong way. Yeah, yeah, maybe you're right. 
for me also being in an evangelical space also uh, was weird. And I know this from just the religious right, but the elevation of Jesus over God mm-hmm. in a conversation is always something that strikes me as so weird from my own religious upbringing because it was – it was God that was the main uh, talking points and events and not Jesus and not the conflation of the two. Right. And the Jesus, yeah, I mean, it's just Jesus, it's Jesus as Lord as opposed to Jesus of Nazareth. But, you know, that's liberation theology versus, you know, the evangelical Protestantism. But you know what's good? I feel like I've become more fluent in this through the workshops we've done, having to do a little bit of research on my own and learning how you describe it, is that when I'm in front of the capitalism works for me sign and people talk about Jesus, I can talk about Jesus. And I can talk about it from a way where I'm fluent enough that I can challenge some of their ideas and get them and speak with them about it, right? And that has been really helpful. And I think that that could be something that we could use. It's like, I don't have to agree with their take, every church's take on it. We don't have to agree with, you know, you don't have to believe in God or Jesus, you know, as, as a resurrection or whatever, or as a savior, or as a Lord, but understanding enough to be able to speak about it. And I, if I was around more Muslims, mm-hmm. I would need to know that. And I would do that. And I guess this makes me like the apostle Paul. Boom! <laughs> 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 I just realized I was re-quoting. But no, really, I, I, I have found that really helpful. And I, I guess it's like what you're saying, Pat, as an ability to have a conversation, not as a way to manipulate someone. Right. And it is, when you think about it, all the things that we can disagree on in the secular world, that we're able to disagree with it and not get the emotional hurt that once we bring Jesus or religion into it, then it's suddenly the walls come up and we find that disagreement as something that seems impossible to get over. Yet we're disagreeing with our allies all the time. We're disagreeing um, yeah. yeah, on philosophy, on tactics, on messages, on so many things. But I think this, again, the power of religion, especially in American society, is so strong that it's hard for us just as individuals to deal with with that difference uh, in a way that usually ends up in productive conversations. Mm -hmm. I found that when I can pull any Jesus thing or Christianity Bible thing out and the people I'm talking to that have already referenced the Bible or Jesus or something or something, something about their religious beliefs relating to Christianity, as soon as I can seem to be able to speak to that, they kind of soften to me. They're mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, well, we, we have that in common. And if I have another take on Deuteronomy and how we should not take advantage of people and pay them fairly, and that's in the Bible, and I think that's true. And they're like, yeah. Whereas if I was like, well, you know, start, tried to just talk straight about wage theft, they're not going to have a connection to it, right? Mm-hmm. But if you quote Deuteronomy... they're kind of like yeah yeah i get that you're my kind of guy you know you are becoming like the possible (laughs) (laughs) okay so this week i want to know the thing that you're most excited about i've been inspired personally by by our religious experience this evening and my 
I have two sort of related things I think are worth checking out. One is Louis Theroux, who is a BBC correspondent. He did a show and some specials on the BBC. And he's kind of this like lanky, nerdy looking um, reporter guy who manages to, like the Apostle Paul, become like the people he's interviewing. And so he, you know, he works with like a gambler and he'll hang out with a gambler. He'll try to become a gambler. And then he also does this with like survivalists, right? People who are think the apocalypse is going to come or people that are really into alien abductions. But he goes much further and he starts hanging around with gangster rappers. He'll spend like one show. It's an hour long where he tries to become a gangster rapper, which is really funny. (laughs) Um, And then when he's with neo-Nazis and he's like, yeah, I want, I, you know, I want to see what it's like to be a neo-Nazi. And I never really realized how related it was to what we're talking about on this show, but it's not the show that's great. It's the way that he does it because he never betrays his actual beliefs. He'll sort of like be very friendly with neo-Nazis and hang around them and try to understand them. But he'll also say like, I, I really don't believe that. I really can't, um, I, you know, I understand what you're saying about this, but I can't go further than this, you know? And he does it with religious groups and the way that he navigates that and stays true to himself and says, says it out loud in a way that is not insulting and doesn't offend these people or confronts ones that confront people that need to be confronted is really incredible. And you can see those shows, I'm sure online somewhere. I used to have a really great video store where I saw a lot of them and there's, I don't know, we're in the United States. So the British copyright laws don't apply to us. Right. So you can torrent it. I don't know, (laughs) but anyway, you can get a hold of it. My other thing related to this is the satanic temple. The Satanic Temple is building off of the Church of Satan. And if you don't know, both of these things are kind of, in a way, just massive pranks to offend square people. But um, the Satanic Temple is being very clever and creative. And if you're into creative activism, I would definitely recommend checking out what they've done. Um, It's challenging. It's not it's not what everyone might do. But basically what they're doing is taking these like recent laws and Supreme Court decisions for religious freedom and using them to their advantage. So one of the the things they've done is created their um, religious reproductive rights for uh, people that belong to the Satanic Temple, which means if you go into to, to have an abortion performed, the doctor is required to read you this thing about, you know, life or whatever that's basically based on religion. And you, before they can read that, can hand him this card that says, I belong to the Satanic Temple and you do not have the right to read me this. And that holds up as as an expression of your religious freedom and can be defended in court. And so they're they're using the sort of, I don't know, the fear of Satanism and stuff. But they're also sort of saying, like, if you want these freedoms for your religion, you need to give them to all of them. So be careful of how you mix this church and state stuff. Another great example that people might have heard of is they're creating a statue of Satan to put next to the 
Ten Commandments statue <laughs> that is in front of a public courthouse somewhere in the South, and they're paying for it. So they're, the, the idea that the city government or the county government can't afford the sculpture is not going to be an argument. It will strictly be about what is appropriate in a courthouse, and then they can argue their religious angle. So it's very creative, very sort of, if you're a lawyer, you'll really like the Satanic Temple, uh, but check <laughs> it out. There, there's a lot of their projects are online. So Pat, what about you? What are you excited about in relation to this? And that's a great um, example of a resource I have never heard of. Uh, so I will use two as well. One is pop culture and another is movement. The movement, keeping with our theme of religion and church for this week, we spent a lot of time talking about progressive religious movements in the past. And I did want to highlight and lift up the Moral Monday movement, which mm-hmm. is some of the most exciting organizing. One of the tens of thousands of people are coming out in places like North Carolina and Georgia and Ohio every week to celebrate and advocate within a morality frame with using, um, you know, using the gospels, using a religion and connecting with secular folks as well around, you know, how conservative policies impact people's lives in a negative way and really linking that to, you know, many religious practices of uh, how they go against many uh, religious tenets around fairness and justice, uh, especially for the poor marginalized. So so if you, um, I imagine this happens on a Monday. Yes. Right. So I go on a Monday and then I, I go to a church or something? No, you go to a demonstration space. You'll be out oh. in front of the Capitol. You'll be, yeah, oh. you'll be demonstrating outside, but it's Moral Mondays. And, and so it's just every week there's some action performed. During a legislative session. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. And, it, and it's particularly effective in the, in the Deep South in which God is often used as a justification to cut programs in the poor. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's essentially, redefining it. it's redefining it and, it and it's using a moral language to kind of just shift the sort of political language with always has a sort of appeal to religion saying, well, if you, if you want to talk in that language, we can talk in that language. And if you, it's giving a sort of political outlet for churchgoers. Yeah. Sounds like. And for secular people as well. Yeah. So, so it's, it's a like great a combination that we could do a link to. Uh, Moral Mondays as well. Oh, yeah. In the show notes at artisticactivism.org slash category slash podcast, I think. Anyway, you'll find it. Artisticactivism.org. We'll put all the links and stuff up there. So what's number two? My other one, since we're back in September, fall season, and The Good Wife is coming back soon. And I think, again, this is a great example of a show that deals with God and Jesus and religion and secular people better than any other show I know out there right now. I don't know anything um, about this show. So The Goat Wife is entering into, I believe, its seventh season this year. And it takes it's with Julianne and Margulies. And it, it plays on so many of the stories of the the wife of a high profile political man who's cheated publicly and what happens to the wife who has to play the good wife in public. And so this show takes um, uh, a look into the life of Alicia Florick, who is actually an atheist and has two kids that she's raising. And one uh, child, Grace, becomes 
Christian and she starts going to church and she and her mother disagree on this, but in a loving way, in a respectful way. But you see the difference of how you can be someone who doesn't believe in God, raise a child who decides to believe in God and that power dynamic uh, shifts of a child versus a parent. I love that kind of dynamic. And then just the conversations that they have around coming together and morality on both sides, but morality coming out with the daughter seeing it through a Christian lens and her mother seeing it without a need for religious uh, religion in order to have that. Hmm. So those are related to this. If I can add one more so thing. So should you start, if I was to start watching this, should I start watching season one or could I just jump in? Well, I have OCD tendencies, so, so I always say start from the beginning <laughs> okay. to fully understand. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. um, and it's, I, I would say, for me, it is the best written, best acted show out there. Next to Empire. No. <laughs> Empire is the most fun show out there. Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> Um, Steve, what about you? What do you got? So since uh, political campaigns have become popular culture, yeah. um, evidenced by, um, you know, our wonderful candidate Trump, my my example um, has to do with uh, political candidacy in this election cycle. And it's Bernie Sanders, Democratic Socialist Jew, going to Lynchburg, Virginia to speak at Liberty University <laughs> last week. Um and it was great. It's exactly what we're talking about. He didn't lose his soul, but he spoke to these evangelical Christians. He's the largest evangelical Christian university in the world. And he spoke to those people about the message of Christ and that we had to help out the poor. We had to help out the least fortunate. And the best way to do that is to have a democratic socialist president. <laughs> Are you a Sanders man? I, I feel the burn. <laughs> <laughs> and but wait wait there's something else we need to talk about wait can i just add yeah did sure. you hear about lawrence lessig and his thing to be a president for like a week no so lawrence lessig <laughs> I, I donated money to this so, um, so lawrence lessig is a left harvard law school school yeah. scholar uh professor yeah, yeah. and like a, a big copyright law guy and then moved into politics yeah. um and and the cor- corruption of money in politics but basically what he's done, this is also like hits on my uh, Church of Satan um, uh, nerve. So he says, I'm going to, uh, if you, if I can make enough money, I will run for president. And as soon as I become president, I will try to get money out of politics and I will pass this one bill. Once that bill is passed, I will resign. Whoever you want to be the president will be, you know, will make that person the vice president. But I'm going to be the president and try to have the shortest term possible to get this one <laughs> thing done. And I love that president for three weeks, passing a bill and then splitting. <laughs> awesome. So what's number two? Oh, I, I got no number two. But what, just, I, okay. what, what I do have is Yours to, is just to go to church, right? Or read the Bible or something. <laughs> no, I don't have to. <laughs> I'm just going with the, I'm feeling the burn. Yeah, hey, everybody. Memorized. I'm Steve Duncan. I'm number two. You should read the Bible. <laughs> it's good. No, it's really good. I read it. It's really good. You can skip over some of the begets and the begottens. And I don't know. That's tough about how many goats to sacrifice when your neighbor lets his sheep run into your <laughs> No, you the Deuteronomy stuff is the good stuff. It's like, I don't have to cheat people, right? <laughs> exactly. No, I'm teasing you because I remember when you were reading the Bible, you told me three times, hey, you know, I'm reading the Bible. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know. 
You got no, you got. I, I would too. I would be very proud of myself. Exactly. You got to yeah. get some cred. Yeah, you don't yeah. get cred for reading the Bible. And you anyway. got it. Yeah, I yeah, exactly. totally, totally got credibility for me. I was impressed. <laughs> um, no, I wanted to. I wanted to actually just bring it back home, and uh, because the, one of the three of us has had a major career shift. That's, it's not me. It's not me. <laughs> I'm not giving up my tenured position. <laughs> <laughs> so Pat, you quit your cushy job. <laughs> At the, to, uh, to go out alone, at, uh, being in the center of the web of Glenn Beck's chalkboard. <laughs> That's where you were at Open Society Foundations. Yes. And you left. I took a leap of faith. Nice. <laughs> and where did that leap take you, sister? To starting my own business called Leadership Matters Consulting. You're an entrepreneur like I, Steve Jobs, <laughs> <laughs> our hero. My God. Yeah. <laughs> The greatest or man devil. that ever lived. <laughs> and, and, so, and, and so what are you doing? So I am working with individuals doing coaching, executive coaching with them in the social justice field. I want to be bigger jerks? No, exactly the opposite of I'm working with people on how to better align their actions with their values. Because oh. so many times when we talk about social justice, it sits in this theoretical space in our heads. So I'm uh, the head of like some plumbing company, no, big no, time plumbing supply company. Justice. You missed that part. You said playing dumb. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> You're Joda Palmer. I get it. No, I'm ahead of some big time plumbing distribution thing. And I'm like, hey, I want to be a better person. Then I call uh, you. Is that how it works? <laughs> If you are the head of a big plumbing distribution company and yeah. you want to find out how to make that plumbing distribution company a better uh, community player um, to You may consider lust, them as a client. I, I may consider you, but it's really for people who are committed to social justice. And <laughs> that is a very good question because you do not have to be you do not have to be employed right, by a social justice agency to be committed to social justice. There are okay. people in academia. There are people in um, who work for uh, magazines. There are people who, you know, yeah. we make our livings in many different ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but we also can take advantage of the places that we are in to advance social justice wherever we are. Yeah. What, what I like about that is I just got this flashback to you as the eight-year-old girl who is like, these people's beliefs and their actions just don't line up. I'm out of here. And so now we're creating the church of Pat. <laughs> yeah. You, when you walked out of church at 80 years old, you, you set a whole path that you're ending up on now. Yeah. I'm starting up my own. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> nice. Help. <laughs> Praise her. Praise her. Praise her. So, ever living, ever loving. <laughs> and you know what the answer is. <laughs> yes. Pat. <laughs> So where do we find out more about this exciting new venture? You can find out more at leadershipmattersconsulting.com. Super. And, and we'll have a link below. Cool. Yeah, yeah. There will be in our show notes a link to this. So we'll have show notes. We're going to have all kinds of videos and stuff. And if you want to find out a little bit more about all the things we've talked about, you know, the Satanic Temple, you want to look into that, right? Like. <laughs> How, you're not, how are you going to remember the Satanic Temple? You, I guess you could just search for it. Clear your cookies after. <laughs> but if you wanted my special Steve's links that select Satanic information, we'll have it in the show notes on the artisticactivism.org site. 
Before we go, I just want to say, you guys, this is episode number eight. We got to episode number eight. We started this. Yeah. It was cold out before. Yeah. Like, I, what yes. was it? Yeah, yeah. It was a while ago. I think we're eight or nine months in. And we committed to, we have a plan to do 10 of these. We have two more. Not going to yet reveal what we're doing next. And then we don't know. And so if you, dear listener, have ideas of things you want us to do, or if you want us to stop, (laughs) (laughs) send us an email. We have a contact uh, page on the Artistic Activism site. You can also write reviews and send us little notes on iTunes. And on Twitter, we are at Artistic Activism or at Arts Activism on Twitter. Um, But let us know what you think. Um, Like I said, we got two more planned. We may or may not continue. We're not sure. It all depends on you. Yeah. If you want it, we'll do it. If you have faith in us. And tell us. And pray to us. (laughs) And pray for us. And and if you find it in your heart to be generous enough to send us a check. (laughs) Praise the Lord. I think we're done. We're done. We're done. What do they say at the end of church? Amen. Uh, Amen. 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 Brothers and sisters. Amen. Play the rock music. (laughs) 